0: Hello everyone, welcome back to Blood Talks. Now, um, as you can see, today I'm going to be going over how to make a B-movie look good. Now, if you've clicked on this, you obviously know what a B-movie is, but, you you know, if you, for some reason, have no idea whatsoever, then I'll give you a brief overview. Um, If you're really not interested in hearing, then just, you know, skip about a minute or so. So, a B-movie is essentially a movie with a low budget. That's that's literally it. There's nothing more to it than that. Simple as simple as it sounds. It's just a movie with a low budget. Um, so there's tons of examples of B movies out there. You know, probably the best, most well known B horror movie at least is The Evil Dead movies. Uh, but then you've also got I think like honestly a lot of the later installments in a lot of well known horror franchises are classed as B movies. I think you could say some of the later um, Pumpkinhead movies or some of the later Friday the Thirteenth movies kind of are B movies. Um, so how do you even classify a B movie? Like what budget range are we looking at here? Well, it could be anything from not a single dime, um, you know, to um, four quid and a Freddo to Just over a few million. Um, There ain't like a range, but I'm going to say maybe anything above the budget of 10 million is not a B-movie. So anything below the budget of 10 million is a (laughs) B-movie. It's as simple as that, right. But obviously, you know, if you've got a low budget going into your film, you're at a severe disadvantage, aren't you? Because well you know you've it's very hard to make it look good, so not only is it hard to make it look good, but it's hard to make it well just good in general um so I'm gonna be going over today probably my favorite no definitely my favorite B movie franchise of all time phantasm, and I'm going to be going over certain points about the film where I think that it excels as a B movie. But not only does do I think it excels as a B-movie, I think it's great at being a B-movie that looks like a blockbuster. I'm specifically talking about the first one, but I do think that the sequels are also quite good at capitalising on making them look pretty good on a low budget. Um, well, aside from the fifth one, but uh, yeah. The first one in particular is a masterclass of filmmaking. And yeah, I'm going to just go over points about the film that make it good on a low budget so my first point is the writing and to to, obviously to make anything stand out but to make a b-movie stand out it's got to be something completely original completely uh you know off the walls something that will attract attention because something like maniac cop i love maniac cop but if you think about the title and the, the plot of the film itself, it's really quite simple. And I mean, I think it works to its advantage. But when attracting mainstream audiences, you know, the title Maniac Cop is like the most generic title you could get. Once again, I ain't like a diss on the film. I love Maniac Cop. And I think the title, you know, more than perfectly suits what it is. Um, whereas Phantasm, on the other hand, is a bit more ambiguous. It's a bit more interesting. It's a word that I didn't even know was a real word at first. I had to look it up and and, and find out what it actually meant. And, you know, for those who don't know, a phantasm is essentially an illusion, a, a ghost, something like a spirit, but something that looks real but isn't. And that, once again, even when you learn the definition, it arguably makes the film even more ambiguous. Because then you're like, okay, so you know this film, right? It's probably all in the characters' heads. Um, but you can't say for sure because the film toys around with that. But that's what makes like the, the title. The title alone has to be something really interesting and new. And Phantasm is maybe my favourite title to a film ever. It, it's just so, like, different. It's such a interesting word that you've probably never heard before. Uh, Apparently, I think, was it Edgar Allan Poe used it a lot in his works. Um, So that's where Coscarelli got it from. But how about the writing in general? Well, the the, the dialogue. The dialogue can be whatever you want, really. Like, you could go as generic as you want. Um, It doesn't really change the overall product. But the plot is important. The plot has to be just something completely off the walls, and ambiguity it w- was used a lot in the first Phantasm movie. Um, and that's what made it so interesting and what made it stand out despite being a low budget. It's clear that there's ambition despite the, the low budget and that's what you're looking for. Um, so how about cinematography? Now Phantasm has to be one of the best shot films I've ever seen, and I'm not even just saying that. The way it's shot makes it feel like you're watching a grade-A blockbuster. Um, When in fact, Don Coscarelli actually had to rent the camera equipment every weekend. Because, yeah, once again, the film was extremely low budget. Um, But the way that it's shot makes it look like Masterclass. Because there's a lot of close-ups. There's a lot of quick cuts, there's a lot of, you know, clever inventive angles and it's clear Coscarelli knew how to make the audience feel like they were in that same place. For example, in one of the first shots of the movie when Jodie enters the mausoleum, you get a bit of an establishing shot. I think it's a high angle um, over Jodie in the mausoleum. Jodie's the centre of the screen, the mausoleum's in the the background and it just makes it so interesting to you because the mausoleum looks so nice. And Jody, of course, is in the centre. You know, he's meant to be the the character you're following there. Um, but as well, there's just some eerie vibe about seeing a man alone in a mausoleum in almost complete decadent silence. Um, and I say decadent because... The film has got an amazing soundtrack, which we'll go move on to in a bit. And it's, it's rare there isn't sound in this film. So to have these subtle moments where there isn't absolutely almost zero sound. Okay, well there's zero non-diegetic sound. There's, there's a bit of diegetic sound in there, but it's relatively silent. Uh, by the way, if you don't know the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic, diegetic sound is something that characters can hear within the film itself, and the non non-diegetic essentially means the soundtrack. Um, but it's clear that Coscarelli knew how to make the mausoleum feel like this massive building full of secrets all over the place just from a few shots, and it's that kind of world building that you, you're you using what what's limited to you to make it look bigger. Like, it's, it's something that George Lucas in the first few Star Wars films He did, and in fact, all the Star Wars movies uh, that Lucas made. He's he's a master at world building. Uh, We're not going to talk about that because obviously Star Wars has CGI galore and very good CGI, which is not the point of all this because my my point of doing all this is for aspiring filmmakers who might be struggling on a low budget. But my point is, if you can get the camera at a certain angle, uh, a certain position... Um, and with a certain size, you can make very, very silly looking film props into being these eerie, suspenseful, flipping, feel, like, real uh, settings. And that's exactly what Coscarelli does with the mausoleum. But something else he does with the camera is... The more you see Jody in that mausoleum, the closer the camera gets to him, and I don't mean it literally zooms in on him, but first you got that establishing shot I mentioned, then you got a couple of mid shots, you know, a tiny bit closer, and then it turns to the close-ups. And this is a great way of showing Jody's emotion, because obviously at first, the further away you are from him, you don't see his face as well, or at least the, his face isn't the focus. But the closer it gets to his face, the the more he walks into the mausoleum, and then eventually you get the close up of his face, showing his emotion a lot better, because the closer he's getting into the mausoleum, the more weird stuff is happening, and you see him react to it. Once again, he's just Don Coscarelli is great <clears throat> at creating suspense, because it, he gets closer into the mausoleum but it, it it all happens taking its time you know it's not straight away he just walks in there and there's a jump scare or whatever but instead it all kind of climaxes and then you hear this amazing electronic synth uh of music just ramp up slowly and slowly and slowly and then it gets really really loud and you get to the point where you think right what's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna happen is he gonna die but then a man puts his hand on Jody's shoulder and you get an over-the-shoulder shot of this humongously large gentleman, play uh, called the Tall Man, played by the late great Angus Scrim, rest in peace. And he says the funeral is about to begin. Like, that's brilliant because you're supposed to think of him as being the scary guy and it is scary, but you also think that he's about to kill Jody. When in fact, no, he's he's just. Saying you know, funeral's about to begin. So immediately you get in this eerie vibe just from the cinema cinematography alone, um, and that over-the-shoulder shot. I mean, Angus Scrim was actually around uh, Bill Thornbury's height. The guy plays Jody, so they just simply got him to stand on wooden crates or something to make himself look taller. Um, and having an over-the-shoulder shot means that you're completely cutting out uh, his bottom half. So you're giving him the illusion of him looking taller, especially with an over-the-shoulder shot. Anyway, because that's made to look the character, made to make the character they're looking at look extremely uh, inferior. Um, and that's another advantage of having your main villain be the tall man. You know, like you can make so many clever shots that will make him look more intimidating because he's so tall um anyway another point i want to get onto is you're probably going to have a lot of unexperienced actors um maybe all your cast is inexperienced maybe all your cast has never even seen a film before so how on earth are you supposed to deal with that just get them to be themselves for a lot of it like that's something else i realized with phantasm like Maybe one of the weaker parts of the film is the lack of talent, in, in terms of acting. But something else that the film does is, it's aware of that. So, they just let most of the cast be themselves, and it's still entertaining because it suits the story, and it works within the narrative. For example, there's literally a scene where you see Jody and Reggie playing the guitars on the porch of Jodie's house. Like, that should be the silliest thing ever and be so out of place because it's it's, it's a nothing scene. But it's not because it's entertaining. Because these two guys probably turned up on set one day and they were like, oh, we can play the guitars. Maybe we should work that in somehow because they're both not very good actors. So put it in there and it's entertaining. It's a bit of comic relief. Um... And for most of the film, people like Reggie Bannister doesn't have a lot of acting to do. The most he, he does really is just be incredibly inquisitive. And then Bill Thornbury plays an older brother. Mike, I must say, the A. Michael Baldwin who plays Mike, he's a fine actor in this. I think he's actually not very a not very good actor in the later films. But in this film he's one of the best kid actors I've ever damn seen. Um and once again having your main character being a kid who is obviously yeah really small and your main character being extremely tall creates an amazing contrast so you don't really have to do a lot of class classy cinematography to make the tall man look well tall um but yeah over overall what i'm trying to get at with with this point is that if you've got lesser experienced actors, just let them be themselves you know, if they're quite funny, let them be funny, if they've got a charming personality give them the charming personality if they can say big words let them, just let them say the big words, just do whatever they have tailored to them and then for the more you know, action focused scenes where they do have to do a lot more acting well Yeah, that's where there's a bit of a stunt. Um, But, you know, let's just not worry about that for now. Um, Because, as I say, Phantasm is still an amazing movie, despite a lot of the bad acting. My point is, just let the inexperienced actors do whatever the hell they want where you can. Like, wherever the, the, the narrative doesn't need it. But also make it entertaining. Don't make it filler. Just make it a comedy scene or whatever. Um, another point uh, of course is a suitable soundtrack this just goes for any film but I think Phantasm soundtrack in particular is probably, it's definitely one of my but if not my favorite soundtrack to a film ever. It's brilliant, it's electronic, it's eerie, uh, it gets the vibe perfect. This point's mo- like n- less about how to make a good soundtrack for a B-movie. But more how to make a good soundtrack just for for movies in general. I mean, you've got to tailor it to your film incredibly. Like, Phantasm is primarily a horror movie, but it's got elements of sci-fi in there and elements of action and comedy uh, as well. And the soundtrack, it, like, mirrors this effortlessly. Like, primarily, the soundtrack is very creepy, but it's got a bit of sci-fi in there with the, the, the wackiness Um, There's a bit of comedy in there sometimes, like when Mike's running across a graveyard and there's that incredibly funky 70s style music. Um, And then you've got the action focused soundtrack for, say, uh, the Mineshaft chase, which is incredible. And my point is, like, this is less about Coscarelli's talent, but more about Fred Miro and Michael Seagrave, Malcolm Seagrave's uh, music prowess. They clearly knew what they were doing and they, yeah, they created a mighty fine soundtrack to this film. Not just the theme itself, which is one of those things that should be iconic, but isn't. Um, but they, they they get, they hit the mark with everything. Like the soundtrack completely suits the film. Um, and yeah, so if you're doing a horror, you just go for something with quite an eerie vibe. It doesn't have to be anything special. I mean... Halloween is arguably the most iconic horror theme ever, but is it anything special? No, it's not um, It's very simple few beats um, Just yeah, go with something quite simple. do not have to be over the top. If you can go over the top, do so, but Work with what you got and just tailor it to the, the, the film you're doing. Tailor it to the genre um, Another point is just make it fun. I mean Not a lot of B-movies are going to be taken seriously, if we're being honest. There's very few B-movies that are taken seriously. But it can still be enjoyable. Um, My favourite director of all time is Sam Raimi. And I think what cemented him as my favourite director was the quote... uh, Something along the lines of, you can't make a film boring. You know, like, you, you can make it bad, you can make it good... But as long as it's not boring, because if it's boring, you've lost the audience, you've failed what you're trying to do. And he's, 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 he's right. I mean, n- not every film can be good. And maybe there's a lot of bad B-movies out there. And heck, there's a lot of bad things about Phantasm as well. Things that don't quite hold up. But it's always entertaining. And I suppose the point I'm trying to make here is... Just don't have a boring scene in the movie. Don't have a scene just full of exposition and stuff. If you do have to do the exposition thing, just just do it in a fun, inventive way that doesn't require too much thinking. Um, but don't worry about the overall quality. Just as long as you get ahead, and as long as you get uh, get the audience entertained, then you you've won. Like whether it's bad or good, it it doesn't really matter for the overall interest i mean look at things like the room by tommy wiseau commonly regarded as the best worst movie ever objectively it's probably the worst movie ever but it's called the best worst movie ever because of how much it entertains the bloody audience um and it's as simple as that like if you can make a good b-movie like phantasm like the evil dead um like maniac cop um, yeah, you know, well done. But if it's bad, if you know it's going to be bad, just make it entertaining. Just make it a lot of fun to watch for the audience. And then they can laugh and cringe along with you. Um, so as a conclusion, to make a good B-movie or to make an enjoyable B-movie, i or how to make it look good in general, is have an inventive plot, do some very clever cinematography to either, you know, hide certain props or inadequacies or or just to create suspense and intrigue. Uh, have your less experienced actors be themselves. Have a very suitable soundtrack. Um, make it fun in general. Just make it a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, that's about it from me today. I hope you have learned something new and... You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Like, is there anything I missed out on that's crucial to making the quality of a B-movie skyrocket? If so, just, uh, yeah, let me know. I'd I'd love to hear. Um, But, yeah, thank you very much, and I'll see you later. Goodbye.